knowledge puffs us up because we're just so full of knowledge. We, we know stuff. And it gives us the authority to teach, to lead, and to do things with our knowledge. A medical doctor will receive her license once she has proven that she knows the medical arts and can perform them. But not just her. Teachers, cosmetologists, pastors. Once we have proven that we know what we're doing, then we're allowed to perform our duties on the public. Because no one wants their hair colored by a cosmetologist that just doesn't know what he's doing with the chemicals, right? Who knows what color it'll end up? Yeah. And, and it's just there that we find that we know things. And, and having known things, because you've passed the bar exam, and now you're a lawyer, or the CPA exams, and now you're an accountant, or whatever your program, be it technical school, a college degree, or a doctorate, there, we now have received all of the information to begin the practice of our profession. And it does fill us up with a certain amount of, well, I know things. And, and when we see things that aren't the way they should be, we feel the need to say something, right? You know, especially in our own profession. Like, the worst job for a pastor is to preach in front of pastors. Like, if you're in a room full of pastors, oh my, because they all know how it should go, how everything should happen, right? And, and that's just kind of how we are when we see people in our profession doing things that aren't quite right. You know, you, you've had the plumber over to your house after you've tried a little something. You know, you watched a few YouTube videos. I can do this, right? And then you couldn't, and then the plumber comes and he knows all of the city codes, and he just takes a look at what you've done and kind of shakes his head. You know, this, this, this isn't going to work. You've got a backflow here. It's going to smell. You've got the fittings aren't right. And he kind of gives you a little lecture, right? You know, in a nice way, because you're paying him, but still, he gives you a lecture of what the code is supposed to be like. And, you know, and it, it is not just that things won't work right. You can actually hurt people. Because, yes, you can wire your own house but it may burn down because you just don't understand the, that this is a 15-amp line. You can't put 30 amps through it. It's going to start on fire. And, and, and it might be big stuff like your house, but it also might be little stuff. You just get sick. You know, the, the school uh, lunch lady, she knows about the proper food handling techniques, and her food handler's card tingles a little bit when she sees the potato salad, the family picnic left out just a little too long. And, and she might get a little puffed up, a little in your face about what we're going to do with the potato salad now. It's got to be thrown out because she knows what grows in mayonnaise that's a little too warm or a little too long. You know, we all have knowledge and it puffs us up and it informs us what is right and wrong and, and we want to protect people and help people and, and that's what we want to do with our knowledge. And it's very helpful in most instances when we're performing our duties. But do you know where it's not very helpful? Interpersonal relationships. Your friendships. When you tell your friends what should be done and not done. How does it work in marriage when you know best? And, and, and in the congregation. 
oh, this, we are ripe for knowing things, especially in a Lutheran church, because we really know our doctrines. We care about our doctrines. And when we see doctrines that aren't happening the way they're supposed to, we feel compelled to tell people, you're not right. And perhaps not even in the nicest way. And that's just, uh, that's just the way it is. And well, it's certainly how it was in the congregation that Paul started in Corinth. And as he hears about all the mess that's going on, this is one of the many things that wasn't right in his congregation. And so he has to tell them, hey, hey, I know we all have knowledge, but you know what knowledge does. It just naturally builds us up, puffs us up, and then we got to tell people what we know. Okay, I get that. That's how it works. But you don't know the way you should know and ought to know if your knowledge is being used to hurt people. Now, this is really tough in congregational life because, I mean, we see stuff and we need to say stuff. And, and But then the care of people doesn't always happen. And so Paul has to kind of double down and he says, yeah, we all know. And, and I agree with you. You know the right things about idols. You who are strong in your faith and in your doctrines. You know that an idol is nothing. You know that there's only one God and one Lord Jesus, and you know that you can eat any meat. You can even parade yourself right into the old idol's temple because that's where the meat was. Sit down there and, and just have a good meal. Um, but not everyone in your congregation has the maturity of that knowledge. Some people are still weak in their knowledge. They don't know everything. And so, because they don't know, well, we're going to... We're going to sacrifice for them. Now, that does not set well at all with us. What do you mean? Now, hang on. Paul's not asking you to sacrifice your convictions. He's not asking you to sacrifice what you know in your doctrines. But he is asking that we make a sacrifice for those who do not know, who are weak in their understanding and in their faith. And, and so Paul said, well... I, if it's going to make my brother stumble, I just will not eat meat. And there, we would think Paul has now laid out a rule for us to follow. And doesn't sound like a very fun church potluck. No meat, you know. And, and, but, but be careful, because Paul has not laid out a rule for us in every specific instance of church life. But he is giving us a specific illustration. This is what it looks like to... Love your weak neighbor. And if the situation had been different, the circumstances uh, much different, then his illustration would have been different. And we have examples of this from Paul in the New Testament. Why, just think about what he did with circumcision. Remember, the, the Jewish laws demanded that if you're going to be part of God's family, you must be circumcised. And that's how it was from Abraham until Jesus. But now when Jesus has come, he has fulfilled the law. Everything. Now we have been set free to be his people without any regulations. They've all been nailed to the cross, fulfilled in Jesus. And now the way into God's family is through faith, which you receive in your baptism. And Paul was very adamant that if you are circumcised, then Christ is of no value to you. 
And he got very specific and very graphic in his letter to the Galatians. As he just throws his hands in the air and says, who has bewitched you? Who has, who has so befuddled you? Those who demand to be sacrificed, and he gets very graphic, I wish you'd just go and cut everything off. That's how strong Paul thought about circumcision and that it is no longer needed. It is now everything about Christ. So you would think that that would be the case in every case. Uh-huh. Open up your Bible. Well, not right now, but maybe later. Open up your Bible to Acts chapter 16. And you'll hear a very curious episode of Paul and a young pastor named Timothy, as in first and second Timothy in the Bible. And as Timothy is accompanying Paul on his journeys of sharing the gospel, we learn that Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Greek father, which meant he was not circumcised. And they're going into all the Jewish areas, and Paul wants to take Timothy along. And so he... Here's the deal, Timothy. Um, you're going to need to be circumcised. What? Yeah, I know. We don't want to cause a stumbling block for the people we're trying to share Jesus with. And so Timothy agreed to be circumcised. He sacrificed his own comfort so not to be a stumbling block to the other. And Paul, did he, did he sacrifice his convictions? Did he sacrifice his doctrine? No, he made a a difference for those who will hear the gospel. That's messy, isn't it? I mean, it's not a clear, we love a clear-cut, tidy rule. This is the rule you follow all the time, every time, without exception. And instead, we've been given a call to love our neighbor every time, all the time. And it's messy because how do you do that? Because there really is a right and a wrong. There really is the doctrines of the church. And, and yet, they are as important as they are. People are just as important. How do you know when to eat meat? How do you know when to take a stand? Like, no, we're going to eat meat right now. How do you know when to do that? Well, fortunately, we have a place to go to and see how knowledge, which puffs you up and demands compliance, and love for people are both done at the same time without contradiction and without any conflict. And they're, they're expressed to their fullest. And that place is the cross of Jesus. And there, at the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, we have a lens to which we might be able to fully see the weak as the ones for whom Christ died we see just how much Jesus loves people. Not just any people, but those who are boneheaded, wrongheaded, believe in all kinds of crazy things headed. People have doctrines that are just totally messed up. People who are immoral. People who are evil and sinful. We see how Jesus looks at them. I love them, the weak, this much that I will not only sacrifice my convenience, not only pain, but my life for them. But what about the knowledge that they're wrong? Jesus then sacrifices himself in payment. All of their wrong is taken in his responsibility. The Holy Spirit 
will lead you to know as you ought to know in this congregational life of how to treat one another when he leads you to this confession. And I too am weak. I too am one whom Christ has died for. It is in this weakness that the Holy Spirit strengthens us to care for one another and to sacrifice for them in their weaknesses as we have weaknesses too, so that we might truly love and care for one another even when we are boneheaded, even when we've done the wrong thing, even when our politics isn't yours. To truly love one another because we're looking at one another through the lens of the cross, and I there am one who is weak that Christ has died for. So why would Paul then voluntarily give up eating meat? Because of the Spirit-led question in his own heart as he wondered, well, how can I love and stay connected to my fellow followers of Jesus? Because I can't just cut them off. I can't just shun them and not be around them. I can't just condemn and then walk away. I actually have to live with these people because I'm going to be seeing them for all eternity, right? They're, they're those for whom Christ has died. It'd be kind of embarrassing in heaven to run into them if I've been so mean to them here. And so we're going to do it now with the love and the grace and the power of Him who has been raised from the dead. Yeah, it's messy. But look, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has chosen to come join us in the mess. And to lead us in loving one another in this congregation with the people that you're looking at right now. All glory and honor to Jesus as we, the weak ones, look to him for such strength. Amen.